All right. So today we have Tamsin Smith beaming in from San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> and she's going to share with us some beautiful aspects of herself. Uh, she's an amazing visionary and strategist, but in addition, uh, she is an artist, a poet, and an author. Uh, and we're going to talk about her newly released book, uh, Exile, which is fun. And I love, you know, what, the one thing I love about Tamsin is her <laughs> love for words. <laughs> and I absolutely love reading your story writing. <laughs> It's uh, bless you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's all it's a type of writing that I really enjoy it takes you there. So um, so welcome here today, Tamsin. And I'm so happy to be here. It's so good to see you, Suzanne. Yeah, it's good to see you. <laughs> and as we can see peeking through the background, we have one of your great works. Uh, what I was really uh, thinking that today could be, you know, you've really utilized this past year and change to create from my perspective, uh, which has been beautiful to see. And then I thought what we could do is dive in a little bit on the power of art and literature and even, cause I know you have a love for music too, uh, mm -hmm. that how it can help transform, heal. Uh, we're all coming out of an experience that's still like, I don't know, we're still on a little bit of a tilt-a-wheel ride with it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I know certain points in time in my life that art especially has been like to go to the galleries and just take in the artist. Um, mm -hmm. And the same with poetry as a way, as a catalyst to uh, help heal, grow, transform, and seed new things. So I wanted to kind of do that as our teaser coming in. Um, for, for you, uh, just being that you have a love for the arts, uh, where would you say that that really uh, deepened during this last little bit here on planet earth? Well, uh, I mean, I think like pretty much everybody else that could shelter, not, not everybody could, you know, and thank God there were people out there that were willing to deliver our groceries and, and things like that. But for me, I, uh, I, I already worked from home, um, but my world became, my small little world became even smaller in a sense. And uh, I, just had even more time to create uh, than normal. And um, creativity being, whether it's painting or writing, something I reach for regardless, and, and usually I'm sort of trying to find more time for that, I all of a sudden ended up with a bounty of, of time. And so, though I didn't have access to my art studio where a lot of my oil paints and canvases <laughs> sit were sitting waiting for me, uh, what I had at home was uh, paper and acrylic. And I just started a sort of practice. I think one of the things that really helped me and I think other people during this strange time was sort of having a daily routine just because the days did sort of blur together. Yeah. And so I found myself at the end of the day, I would just park over near my window and take a pad of of the art paper I had in my acrylics and I would just paint you know that corner of my house or that corner of my house or that pussy flora and my neighbor's uh wall and I would just I just would create these little scenes of where I was sheltering and then I would go on I would go on Instagram and sometimes post them, but I would also look at other people taking pictures of mm. 
their garden or the corner of their room or <laughs> something that they'd seen that day. And so an artist is always looking for a prompt. I would start um, reproducing them. And usually I wouldn't tell the person, I would oh. just paint it and then I'd post it on Instagram and tag them. And it was kind of this very fun way of surprising somebody with an unexpected, um, interpretation of the moments of their life and and if somebody wanted the piece I just because it was on paper it was very easy for me to just put it in the mail and send it yeah um I've subsequently figured out a way to affix the paper to board and frame it and now I have some that are part of kind of a sales series but Mm. it was um it was great and then writing also just you know more time to do that so I think it was a way to take the energy that couldn't go into social gatherings or in-person business meetings or whatever the other things that I might have been doing with my time. Uh, for me, it was a luxury. And I think for a lot of people, even if they didn't already have a creative process, they found one, whether that was gardening or cooking, there was a ton of bread baking going yes. on. I started seeing embroidery all over people's tie-dyeing sweaters. And, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, I hope for people that kind of pick that up in um, pandemic times, they keep it going because there's, it's just so glorious to be able to make something, just whatever it is, just, yeah. you know, create. Uh, Yes. Even so. if it's something you end up eating or <laughs> you're still Absolutely. great expression. Yeah. So well, I, and to your point, I think, you know, we get a, a glimpse in this past moment as how when life is slower, uh, there's more yeah. time to do these things. Even you're bringing me like to Guatemala with all the elaborate textiles and, you know, that's someone's purpose during a day is to sit there at the loom and weave that beautiful textile or, basket weaving, all those things that we kind of take for granted and want, you know, uh, produced on high demand, large quantities, low price, <laughs> you De know? Definitely. And I think for me, uh, I spent a lot of time uh, going through the closets and cupboards, thinking about what I could put back out into the world that I wasn't mm -hmm. using, mostly because I would needed things to do, but also you really become cognizant I think as your world gets really small, really quick of how little you actually need yeah. to, um, you need the essentials and you yep. need the essential workers, but you don't necessarily need um, a lot of the stuff that, that we bring into modern life. Uh, yep. And I have noticed an uptick in people's interest in buying art too, because not only are they, you know, looking at a computer and they yeah. don't necessarily have something on the wall behind them, but yeah. they're also at home more and looking at their own walls and thinking, well, how do I bring beauty into my space and, and kind of curate my nest, um, yeah. feather my nest in a way that feels good as opposed to maybe getting, you know, the next version of the, you know, whatever gadget, <laughs> you know, you thought was so essential last yeah. time or whatever fabulous coat or sweater that you may wear once and, and never again. So right. trending, you know, in the design and architecture world, it's it's kind of an interesting phenomenon because we used to have eras of architectural style and design style, meaning yeah. it could be several decades because it wasn't easy to produce things rapidly. And now it's mm -hmm. like they turn turn it very quickly. Maybe we'll slow back down yeah. to the 
more uh, simplistic approach. Slow fashion, <laughs> slow fashion, you know, embroider yeah. some, embroider something you already have instead of buying something new or again, yeah. tie dye it. Like you're exactly. slow reading, Suzanne. My slow reading, I was saying. And speaking of that, uh, we have your book here. And, ooh, I can get it in the camera. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this, you know, I didn't realize until I got it that this was a creation from your past uh, world, <laughs> maybe your first introduction to the grown-up world. Um, yeah. And it's so beautifully, I hope you write more novels. Like, I don't know if you have an aspiration you. to do that, but as yes. I mentioned, for anyone that gets a chance to spend any time with Tamsin, she has a gift for uh, words and syntax and to just create an environment with the words alone is something that I've always enjoyed all my life. I love being drawn into, you know, writing and imagining uh, what's actually going on. So well done as far as I've read. Thank you. I, as I was telling Tanzan earlier, I've been taking up slow reading, meaning I'll only let myself on uh, read like a chapter or a couple chapters <laughs> and then I have to wait till tomorrow. So it, you can savor it a little bit more. Savor it. Yeah, that's good. Let it linger on the tongue. Yeah. And I think you absorb it a little bit better because you're like, oh, mm -hmm. what am I looking forward to? So for you in this process, um, did it share with the readers one about the, the seed inspiration and concept behind it and then uh, how long it took you to do this, sure. it, it arrived, you know, this year, uh, but I'm curious. <laughs> it's, yes, it, it was a long, uh, it flapped its wings uh, for <laughs> quite some time before it, it finally landed in, in the, the publishing realm. So this was a novel that I wrote just as I was leaving Washington DC, where I, I worked for about six and a half years after grad school, I worked on Capitol Hill. And uh, so got a quick, uh, not, I would not say painless, but got a quick immersion in, you know, the sausage making of, of uh, legislative business and um, uh, uh, whatnot. And I, uh, I, when I started writing the novel, so this was in 1996. I started writing at the end of 1996. Mm. And the story just uh, came to me. I used to walk to work. I lived at the time in um, sort of DuPont Circle, Adams Morgan area, and I would walk to work. And I I'm, love mysteries and thrillers. So I would have whatever book I was reading at the time open as I was walking down the road and then up the mall to my job on Capitol Hill. And I think I just so emblazoned uh, thrillers and mysteries in my head in that time that at a certain point, uh, a story arose in my own head. And I would walk to work and things in the story would happen, characters mm. would appear. And I'd get to the office, I'd quickly write down notes. And then one after I walked back that night, I would type them up and turn them into dialogue and plot. And so Exile is a political thriller and a love story. And it revolves around US Cuba policy, which was um, uh, a tangled web that I had been working on as a legislative staffer at the time. Uh, the um, 
you know, the, the kind of hardline exile community in Miami that was sort of hell-bent on overturning Fidel Castro and reclaiming their oligarchical possessions, et cetera, et cetera, slight bias here. But, you know, th this is kind of the milieu yeah. that, that I wanted to cover. Um, and I had been working legislatively on uh, defunding TV Marti, which was this ridiculous um, program that cost $25 million a year. And Castro had jammed it from day one. So it was just money mm -hmm. down a rat hole. Uh, but the story unfolded as I was also uh, coming to the decision that I wanted to leave Washington. I ended up, you know, giving notice at work getting rid of all of my stuff, giving up my apartment and moving to San Francisco with, uh, you know, I think two duffel bags and staying on my friend's floor. And I finished the novel pretty much a day or two before I got on the plane to come West. Wow. And so it was this story that, um, you know, came quite quickly and it was fully written down. By the time I got to San Francisco, I had this whole new world starting. I needed to find a job and a place to live and yeah. was meeting new people. I ended up getting married, having two children, having various jobs, which were very intense and required a lot of travel and a lot of my time. <laughs> yeah. And the characters in Exile just sat very much in my heart and in the back of my mind, but I didn't have the time to or I didn't dedicate the time to go back to them and free them and really present them in a way that did them justice. I knew that I knew that the text needed to be edited and uh, you know checked and to make sure it all comported. And um, so when <laughs> COVID came along, uh, I, I really was sort of deliberate about what is it that I can achieve in however long this is going to last that is really going to matter. And almost the first thing that, um, you know, there was the daily thing of the paintings yeah. and reading and writing and such, but you know, this, that the, the characters came back and they said, we're ready now. <laughs> and it was amazing to go back into the story. And I did do a lot of editing. I cut, I hope that for the reader, it's a really, quick clip, you get right in, you get uh, connected to the characters, the plot moves along, even the structure of the book is very, it's in kind of sections that are titled. So it's, you you really can kind of re, you, you know, accomplish a little section in, you know, a 10 or 15 minute reading, and yeah. then, you know, savor that, reread it, or yeah. just move on to more. So I have the, one of the bits of feedback I've received is it was such a, such an easy kind of motivating read. Um, yeah. I don't, I hope not easy because it, nothing happened, a lot happens, <laughs> but I think I, you know, as a poet, I'm also very cognizant of the reader and really wanting to give them enough of a way in, but also enough mystery that it was worth their time. So I think the the story really, got to where I wanted it to be. And the fun thing was I, you know, 25 years, a 25 year younger Tamsin that wrote this story and it right. still feels like I could have written it from scratch today, yeah. uh, which is kind of great. And so uh, I, I mean, it was really my first foray into fiction and took a long time, but I, I would love to do a sequel. So I'm already thinking about some of the characters who were 
supporting or minor characters, wouldn't it be fun to take them and um, give them a new plot to um, right. uncover and uh, and rub up against? So uh, that I'm not looking for another forced sheltering opportunity, but um, <laughs> I do. I do. Yes, I think maybe perhaps it could be more voluntary this time, and maybe not take twenty five years. So yeah. I think, uh, you know, and as a more seasoned writer, I think I was just better with dialogue. One of the things I I realized uh, it was a little overwritten. There were kind of too many puns, and just mm. strip that stuff away. It was fun to write it, but it wouldn't have been so fun to read it. I think it just sort of seemed a little trying too hard. So. Right. Uh, I was really glad that I was able to just uh, kind of cut the fat and cut the fun, the fun for the writer. But, you know, yeah. it's like with anything writing, you know, you have a period of time where you're playing with words and then you have to right. get serious about, okay, let's, yeah. let's actually make those words work hard. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's uh, hopefully well, it's, it'll keep, it's really keep moving. And I, you know, I think it's also an inspiration for people that have writing projects or any type of creative project that maybe takes some time to birth. Uh, everything comes yeah. forward in its right time, uh, especially writing. It can uh, things you can have that space and then it stops for whatever reason. Yeah, you keep going that's forward. right. So that's even right. your prologue is is fun. <laughs> in your Thank book. you. It's you get an opportunity to. To vote from the get-go, so it is a political yeah. book. So, yeah, well, and it, it is timely. I think uh, during this passage, a lot of people's eyes have been opened to a lot of different things that maybe they wouldn't have had time to stop and maybe contemplate or mm -hmm. look at. So, it's fun—a fun way to approach maybe uh, reality. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Yeah. So, and uh, with your artwork. Uh, you know, it has this very textural uh, feeling. As I was saying, it feels like Van Gogh a little bit to me uh, in the piece that you have behind you uh, and many of the observations of how your style. Uh, how would you say or would you encourage anyone that has an aspiration maybe to paint, to paint, to start painting and maybe no formal training or has formal training but kind of never was able to do with it what they wanted how mm -hmm. could you encourage them to like dive in and uh, you seem so beautiful to add all these layers and textures and um, I don't know, it feels like you're, you're really working mm -hmm. the canvas in a way that has uh, some depth beyond, you know, just playing with materials on a canvas. Yeah. Oh, thank Well, I, I mean, it's a little bit akin, you know, my poetry too. I try to embed a lot in even a, a small poem and have, word choices and line breaks refract in a lot of different directions. So I think in a sense, there's a bit of a parallel um, mm. that I'm always looking for, like how much more can I jam in there in terms of meaning and possibilities? So maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe that's what I'm doing, kind of jamming as many different <laughs> dimensions and, and colors. Yeah. I use color a lot as a as a tool for, you know, rhythm and meter in, in, in poetry. I mean, in um, painting, I'm not trained at all. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, and I have a, a, a lot of good friends. I, I belong to an art crit group and they're all, they all went to the San Francisco art Institute and they're all very kind to me and give me great <laughs> feedback. But I think in a way I I'm sort of the, maybe the token unschooled one there. And I, one thing that we do talk a lot about is how 
especially if you've been through a rigorous training, how important it is to then try to unlearn what you've learned and kind of have that um, more instinctive beginner's mind. If you're self-taught as I am, that that that's where you begin, it's where you live. So in a sense, yeah. one can think about there are advantages to both. And right. I think that the, um, you know, for me, it's been a process of really figuring out what is my thing? And you can't know what your thing is until you start doing it. Yeah. And I, I work in a couple of different modes. I do a lot of expressive landscape inspired work because I spend my daytime, my day job working on building ultra dense biodiverse forests around the world. So I think <laughs> I'm rendering yeah. them in, in paint. Uh, and then I also love these interior scenes, which I think are also, you know, where where I am when I'm writing, you know, so in a sense, the the two sort of different styles in a way that, that I've, I've moved towards, it wasn't a conscious decision, it's only after I'm recognizing it that I can begin to uh, explain it in the way that I just did. And right. so in a sense, probably my biggest piece of advice is just start doing it. And if you don't know whether you want to be a painter or a collage artist or a sculptor or make, um, you know, design fashion or embroidery, then just start with something, mm -hmm. begin to play with those, those materials and look at what other people are doing and see what, you know, if you're jealous that somebody over there is using a needle and thread, go get a needle and thread and yeah. add it to your canvas or add it to the paper you're working or, mm. Um, pick up fabric and start using it that way. So there's no, you know, it's like we've we've surfed together. You can watch, uh, you know, a million videos and you know, ten million hours of surf footage, and it's not going to help you stand up. <laughs> You're yeah. going to need to spend <laughs> a lot of time on your belly or upside down in the water, <laughs> held under by a wave, before you figure out how the how the ocean works and and how you can work with it and so i think there is this sense that uh you know you oh i'm artistic or i'm not artistic right i don't really i think some people have natural talent unquestionably and i'm never going to be a great guitar player like i could practice and i would be better but i'm never going to be a great guitar player yeah. i think there's a p possibility that with my painting i can do things that um that other people can't do that are meaningful and, and important uh so that's sort of my thing um but uh, you there's no substitute for just the the many hours of practicing and practicing and practicing because that's how you learn what you're doing and you know another thing that i would recommend to people that are making things in the same way that if you're baking bread give those loaves away and see what people like which yeah. which loaf is yummier to them i gave away a lot of paintings and i still do um, whether it's donating them to a charity auction or just um, sending images to a friend saying, I need more space in my studio, pick something that you like. There is something really important about just having your work out there in the world, just like the novel and the characters, they take on a life of, of their own and you learn something by what people choose, what they gravitate towards. And you also aren't gonna be very motivated to keep producing more work if you're, you can't walk through the door for all of the, um, work you've already made still being yeah. there you need to you need to clear the space 
Right. So that you don't just feel like, well, I mean, if if I if everything I ever painted were in this room with me now, I would not only not be able to get out, but I would, <laughs> I'd never want to pick up a paintbrush again because I just think I'm a total failure. Like I'll, I've I've got all this stuff here and it's just sitting yeah. here. I'm the only one that looks at it. So, you know, getting comfortable with giving things away. It's I I think we've been so trained to think that well it cost you money, you know, you had to pay right. for the canvas, you had to pay for the paints, you need to get your investment out, or it won't be valued if somebody doesn't pay for it. I mean, I don't want to go on a whole anti-capitalist <laughs> greed here, but, you know, there are other forms of valuation and exchange right. that can Absolutely. be much more meaningful than the, um, you know, the, the, the monetary. So uh, that's, that's a great way of learning, getting feedback, and also staying motivated and um, you know, not creating fire hazards and things like that too. Yeah. Well, yeah, we want you to be able to get out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> well, and beautifully said, I mean, the power of, you know, I think anyone in the arts field uh, at this point in time on planet earth, it's uh, fast, quick, more on demand, free, which yeah. uh, isn't always, you know, I don't think you could pay any artist enough if you were just using currency mm -hmm. uh, for the time and energy they put in, because it's really a very uh, deep, soulful exchange, you know? So the mm -hmm. reason the artist shows up is because they're passionate about it. And, um, and then the exchange exceeds beyond. So uh, if you can share in that process, maybe to motivate some artists that have stockpiled their art, because I know a few out there, <laughs> Uh, to get them out, those out into the world. What has been the reciprocation in that process? Not a premeditated hoping that you would get it back, but some of the surprises in that process for you. Well, uh, I, I trade work with other artists, which is a wonderful way to yeah. uh, build your own collection and build community. Because, uh, you know, nowadays when we're sort of so dispersed, it used to be that you know, if you're in New York City or in Greenwich Village, you just go down to the Cedar Bar, you'd meet all of the other major right. artists of the day and you'd come up with ideas on collaborating. So, you know, poets would be working with painters and sculptors, musicians, because you're sort of all in this confined area. Era, area. But um, we're all a lot more dispersed um, now. So it happens online. I mean, I, I have great relationships with other artists on Instagram, people I'll never meet, um, but I've traded work there and... Uh, it's so nice when someone says, oh, I love the palette on this, or, you know, so those are, those are very meaningful exchanges. Uh, and I think, you know, just in terms of getting work out there too, I do think if you can donate to a charity auction, that is a great way of having your name listed as an artist and people will begin to recognize your name, yeah. see your work, purchase it because they want to go and they want to support the organization, but they're then also building the muscle of being an art collector. And, uh, you know, I also make a conscious effort to keep the pricing of my work really modest so that it's very easy for somebody to make the calculation because a lot of people aren't used to buying art, you know, and yeah. so they, and there's this sort of intimidation factor of, oh, well, what if I buy something that isn't good um, mm. or that won't retain its value as if that would, you know, I think real it, reason. It, it has been so commodified. <laughs> so, you know, I try to, think like if it if it's oh that's like 
two dinners. I mean, yeah. two dinners in the old days when we used to go out to dinner or, yeah. you know, the case of wine. Like, you, you know, you can then do the comparison of, oh, I, you know, I did a, I did a 21 day cleanse and it cost me more than this painting, you know, to yeah. that kind of B2 bomber comparison that we used yeah. to use in politics. Like this is like, you know, one school is like, you know, the propeller of the B2 bomber. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you fund the school? So, you know, that's another way and not thinking about, honestly, if somebody, if somebody buys your work, it's an incredible compliment. They're not diminishing you if it's not, you're not competing with Banksy in terms of pricing. And, you know, yeah. uh, so maybe again, just trying to think about what is your goal? If you really need to make X amount on something then yes you should you should know that because you know you need to make it you need to pay your rent whatever but um if really your goal is to feel um uh supported seen appreciated as an artist then do whatever you have to do to make that happen and don't let the the money piece stand in the way right. yeah. uh and there are so many platforms now. I'm part of a number, uh, you know, I'm now represented by a gallery on, on Artsy, the Divers Gallery, uh, which is, you know, it feels incredible to be represented with a bunch of artists that I really admire there. There are other yeah. local platforms that have popped up here in the Bay Area that are doing pop-ups at, at cafes and things like that. So you can kind of search around in your area, wherever you are, there may be yeah. those kinds of opportunities where you can join a community that will show your work, that will allow you to participate in events that they're hosting and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and give you different ideas on the kind of work that you'd like to be producing. So mm -hmm. community is so, you know, searching it out and not waiting for it to come to you. I think right. that's, it takes a little bit more work these days, but, um, and online can be a, a gateway to find that. So, Absolutely. you know, I know a lot of people feel that social media is, I mean, there's a lot that's wrong with it, but it's also a question of how you use it. So if you, if you're using it to find, find people get curious about what they're doing and also find outlets for what you're doing, then it yeah. can be a really useful, uh, deepening tool. Yeah. I use your you years back. I don't know if you remember. You said th that to me that it's a search and discovery device, like social. Oh, media. did I? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I oh, great. Because I've always had this like uh, love dislike relationship yes. with this thing, um, but that's how everyone can reset their algorithm. You know, search the things you love and you want to experience because that's what's going to come up, uh, rather than being po pulled into things that. Uh, Maybe that's exactly so that's exactly right. Yeah, I, I I I'm not on Facebook anymore. I'm really not on. I never quite figured Twitter out. I think it's maybe not. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not quick off the draw enough for Twitter. But I really like Instagram because it's visual, and yeah. most of what I do on there is about art or books. You know, yeah. little snippets of poems and things like that. And and so most of the people I'm connected with are also in the creative space. So it's like entering a creative space. I think if you're, you know, if you're a chef, you're probably in a different kind of creative space, but you're looking right. at, you know, beautifully twisted breads and incredible <laughs> sushi and amazing yeah. smoothies and, you know, whatever else. So, yes. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So yeah, that's your phrase, search and discovery device. Okay, I'm going to use that then. <laughs> I love it. That's, I'm like, okay, that's how we can use it because it's obviously not going away. So we might as well no. make, it, make it work for us. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so poetry uh, mm -hmm. is your other gift to the world. Uh, your, uh, I don't know, you're just way with words and uh, innuendos. Uh, that are, I feel like a story, you know, you really like, like you said, you send those fractals out and lots of, you're not so literal with things, mm -hmm. which is beautiful. It's a, you leave room for interpretation and uh, resonance with the self. For you, you put out, is it two books now? Or are you on your second one? Because I have the, third, this three. one, three. Okay. I got this one. And then I got, I didn't get, when I ordered it, Mark's came. <laughs> With, oh really like, yeah it grouped and i'm like wait a second <laughs> that's that funny? funny yeah that's funny and i'm like well maybe there's one of you in here and no there wasn't i didn't see one <laughs> i'll send you i'll send you the other two so the first one is word cave okay and that was uh 2019 and then kind of close on the heels of that is between first and second sleep and then the one you just held up displacement geology that's the most yeah. recent yeah, so. beautifully done, and the artwork is beautiful. Who's the artist on this? His name is Kevin Earl Taylor, and mm -hmm. he's a very dear friend who lives in Los Angeles with his amazing wife, Yvonne. They were in San Francisco, but they, they moved to LA shortly before the shutdown, because oh, okay. it's a lot easier to, to buy <laughs> buy an affordable house and in LA. So, you know, happily for them, they have this glorious new home. And, um, you know, they nice. were they, they were great to follow on Instagram because he's, in addition to being a phenomenal painter and she's a um, fashion designer, uh, he also uh, is a musician. Um, mm. He's got a um, death metal band, Death Cheetah, oh, wow. and they, <laughs> started recording together and they were just both these kind of hilarious jam sessions um that were absolutely it was it was actually great to see what people did when you know trapped inside what they came up with so um yes this awesome. public the publisher the publishing house fmsbw press always uses um artists uh, mm -hmm. for the covers of their books and it just makes for another platform for um, visual artists to be seen out in the world so yeah beautiful uh yeah. so and are you on your fourth gonna have you started your fourth or are you still i i am on my fourth the fourth <laughs> is going to be a uh uh it's called the profound m which is an andre breton uh quote talking about um the m as in memory and mm -hmm. um the, the the title is in response to the the character of the book which is um the prompts were found photographs from mm. the collection of matt gonzalez who uh kind of you know from ebay or wherever has for many years collected uh found you know photographs of people he doesn't uh doesn't know but that just really catches eye from oh, a wow. compositional or quirky standpoint so the um there is a poem written in response uh or kind of as a springboard from each of you know there are i think at this point maybe 100 photographs have been selected so i would just go through you know his piles and dig out what what 
I felt I wanted to write about. And um, so there's, there are a lot of black and whites, there's some color, there's, there are, people will also sometimes paint and colorize an old mm -hmm. photograph. And so, and Matt Gonzalez is writing the introductory essay to sort of talk about, because it's, it's a thing, people collect found photography. Nice. Uh, and there are some books about it, but I don't think there's ever been a book that, that, um, that twins with poetry. So these were fun, different prompts because, I don't know, a lot of them are shorter and they're a little bit uh, kind of in and out, lighter touch. Mm. Um, and they're, they're definitely not super on the nose uh, in terms of the image. So it's wherever my mind went from looking right. at this, but the hope is, the hope I have with all poems, but I think maybe it'll be even more kind of fun and accessible for the reader with this book is, you know, each person will look at a photo and have the opportunity to think about where their mind goes in terms of their own yeah. memories and mix that into how they experience the poem. So yeah. that's something that I hope always happens with my poems, but now it's sort of almost has a little bit of a, a guide step yeah. to, to hope to facilitate that. So uh, that probably will be ready by the end of, uh, certainly by the end of the year, maybe in the next couple of months. So beautiful. Um, yeah. yeah. And yes, the, yes. The idea of a prompt, because you mentioned it in the beginning with your painting, mm -hmm. uh, painting a corner, um, and just the discipline even for maybe a writer that doesn't have the impetus to meaning a direction. Uh, if you can share the value of a prompt from painting to uh, writing books to poetry, uh, how that works to exercise your muscles, because a lot of times people want just to be able to sit down and do it, but they don't realize, especially if they're not trained, the value of, of prompts. <laughs> that's such a good, that's a really fantastic question. I mean, in a way it's like, you, so with respect to painting, uh, I think a, a number of artists probably do this. Some are very planful and they'll sketch. They know exactly what they wanna do. They'll do study paintings and then they'll prepare for the final. But a lot of other painters just make a mark you have to create a problem to solve and yeah. so often it's taking that first step whether it's you know a new nutrition regimen or exercise or whatever it is it's taking that step you know putting the sneakers on right so how do you put the sneakers on creatively um and uh you know a prompt for painting can be literally looking at something or taking a photo of something and using that as the basis of what you want to represent. It, um, it can also be uh, mixing up uh, uh, different colors on the palette and thinking, well, what could I do in just black and white? Um, what, could I, what would I do with a series of different blues? And that prompt is, it gets you in there. And very often, whatever I started with, gets completely wiped away. I mean, this was, this was so different. Um, it was <laughs> primary, it was blue and white and uh, then went through uh, various other periods. And I mean, of the original cobalt blue, there's like a T, I mean, there's a teeny little bit I can find down here, kind of off yeah. camera, you can't even <laughs> see it. it. It's been, 
um, changed and it was an abstract piece. And now it's, you know, kind of from the view of a butterfly, what, what a butterfly might see in a garden, you know, very yeah. close up, um, which is probably what makes you think of Van Gogh because he yeah. used to get kind of really close in yeah. to things. And then with a with a poem, it can be, I, I've, even during COVID, I've had a couple of poetry dinners, but I used to have them on the floor here, um, where I'll send a prompt out to my mm -hmm. 10 or so friends, however many people are um, able to show up, uh, which can be a word, rhythm, uh release what you know whatever or it could be a prompt like open up the first book that your hand touches to a page put your finger down on a sentence and make that sentence part of your poem yeah. anything you know it could be uh it could be open up your instagram and the fifth the fifth image down, respond. You know, it can yeah. be anything, really. Right. It can be pull a pull a word out of a hat, um, and uh, or write about a memory that you wish you could forget. You know, there there are all sorts of tools, and you can go online and find poetry prompts. You can find painting prompts, uh, and um, it's all just a, a process of beginning to exercise how you see and to discover how you see because uh, you, you you don't really know until you start doing it so I love a prompt and you know another great prompt particularly for painting is and probably also for poetry is you know open up a book of, of paintings that you love and copy them yeah because unless you're very skilled you won't be able to copy it may look completely different but then it's a Absolutely. completely original and different um, work of art. I mean, there's was a great show at the SF MoMA that's that's traveled, and they show how influenced Richard Diebenkorn was by Henri Matisse, and you and they would put paintings side by side, and yeah. it's similar palette, similar placement. Even though Diebenkorn was often working with just geometrical shapes and washes, right. whereas uh, Matisse was more figurative. You you see the conversation that's happening artist to artist, and so you know that's that's uh, that's being inspired by someone that you admire. And then I suppose you could do the same thing with uh, with a poem. You know, if you like haiku, you know, yeah. work in the haiku mm -hmm. form. If you love uh, sonnets, try to write a sonnet. If you love, you know, William Carlos Williams' red real wheelbarrow, and you've always wanted to understand why you liked it so much, but it really <laughs> affected you. Think about what object that you see outside your door that you could write about in such a compressed and distilled way, but still have it have an air of mystery, you know? So um, I don't, I mean, I very seldom, some people use, just sort of almost automatic writing as their prompt where they'll just sit down and kind of close their eyes and just allow their yeah. fingers to type words. And that's a way of just beginning to rev up. It's like stretching your muscles before a right. run. And yeah. uh, I think a lot of painters draw, they'll just yeah. begin to draw, just begin to just to begin to make, make marks and make lines that mm. sort of gets them ready for the kinds of lines and marks that they want to make once they're, once they have a brush in their hand or a palette knife or whatever their right. whatever their various tools are. Beautiful. I love it. 
Yeah, I, I've been into, I haven't done one lately, but I need to. Food haikus, because I love food. Mm. <laughs> and so and I, I like to be a little, I don't know, sassy in my food haikus. So it's fun. <laughs> That's such a great, because, you know, the, I mean, many great meals, there's, there's a power in threes. And if you think yeah. about meals as presented on the plate, very often there are three elements, right? There's yeah. sort of the vegetable, the starch, the protein, yeah. widely interpreted. Uh, so yes, that's interesting. That's, what a great, what a great prompt. You could do, you could do a whole book on that. Yeah. With haikus as the, uh, yeah. And color, all that sense, fun stuff. Yeah. So definitely. you, so actually let's have you read a poem if you have one handy or you could use your uh, serendipity. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a um, spoken word on the fly poet. I I take a lot of time, so I totally admire people that are like, you know, sit at the manual typewriter. You give them a word, and they're like, boom, 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 boo! This is great. I'm much more. I, I mean, I'll I'll edit. I'll go back into a poem a hundred times, and I'm not exaggerating, yeah. and kind of continue to refine, refine, refine. So Maybe I'm, I'm not speedy. A, beat, a beatbox and. <laughs> Mike, <laughs> I sh I mean that would be a good practice for me in the same way that I should draw more because uh, I do tend to kind of work out problems on the canvas, which sometimes makes for a pretty messy canvas. But <laughs> depending on what you're working on, you do what you do. I uh, this so this is the this is the collection that okay, you have. Um, and I was trying to think of a. Uh, I thought I I would I would pick a poem that I don't know that I that um would that kind of connects to you in some way hmm. obliquely but so the first one uh that popped out for me is it's a quite a short poem and it's called indirect object hmm. their praying eyes fix a loop with three pins it took a few contrivances to knit this assemblage masquerade model of the known nature of things they had worked to polish the mystery, practiced breathing until the cold air made them strong enough to fly away. Then confessed, I am the, bullfart the bullfighter, the heart of the bull, sister of the red scarf throne. Mm. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you. What Thank page you. is that on? That's on 44. 40. Oh, nice. <laughs> Uh, the one that stood out to me this morning was on page 19 uh, because it called I Once Loved a Poem. Ah, of course you like this poem. <laughs> so as often happens with me, I never stop editing. So oh, you'll see, you. oh, I've so already at I, so will you read us the edited version? <laughs> I will read you the edited version and you can make marks as you go along. Um, yes, funny. Okay. And you can tell me what you prefer later, not on camera. Good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't do it on. Uh, I'll, I'll, have a, I'll have a wave of, of self-doubt. Okay. I once loved a poem. Child of the deep song, loose-footed fretting, are nights of sweet disorder, mischief under pagan moons, the words we stole, as from the gods we hid behind knees and wrists. Spellbound but demure, madness there was to our stanzas. Only we could hear the breaking of souls, 
bored by easy rhythm, wooed by the pretty meter slyly seeping laughter through the wall, the fleeting pleasures we have whispered to others to take their sounding. Inside me, I feel you rise, standing as I bind my legs behind your back, wrap trembling tenderly arms towards this beastly beauty. Mm. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, you're such a gift. <laughs> I, Thank I you. Really, um, anyone that gets the opportunity to work with you or uh, just engage with your artistic gifts through word and through visual media, you know, will receive something very profound. Um, I would love for you just to share a little bit about creating deep forests <laughs> around the globe. Oh, I, it would be my pleasure. I, yeah. I work with this incredible woman, uh, Elise, uh, who is based in Zurich. She's from Belgium originally, and she created, uh, an organization called SUGI, S-U-G-I, which is, uh, here in California, it's like our old growth redwoods. It's a, it's the Japanese, it's a sacred tree in Japan, old growth redwood um, native to that region. And she, uh, she started this um, uh, platform that allows anyone anywhere to help build biodiversity um, in cities in particular. So we use the, um, it's, it's called the Miyawaki method. It's a Japanese, methodology for planting ultra dense biodiverse forests on um, spaces as small as three square meters. Mm. And so literally a couple of parking spots, you can, you can um, bring wildlife and rewild the city uh, in these plots and um, they become very, very dense. It's, um, you know, captures 16 times more carbon, mm. produces 100 times more biodiversity, 30 times um, denser wow. than regular forests, and it's not monoculture, so it's all native species. Yeah. And the first one was planted in Beirut, um, along what, what had been the Beirut River, and remarkably after that terrible blast um, wow. that took so many lives and destroyed so many buildings, that forest is still going strong. Wow. And uh, we um, we have helped build a forest of thanks in London in the borough of Barking and Dagenham, which is a, a forest of thanks for frontline workers and those lost during the pandemic, um, which is quite large, um, yeah. hectare. Um, and uh, we're looking to build more. There's one, actually, I should send you the video, Suzanne. Um, we built a healing forest in the Yakima Nation, in eastern oh, wow. Washington state. That yeah, with um, uh, is a, a correctional facility. So um, incarcerated people helping build that forest, helping now cultivate the medicinal herbs that are being grown there, mm -hmm. and learning more about the heritage of of use of these yeah. medicinal herbs in in culture. And um, it's uh, that's a very powerful one. And uh, so the the website is uh, sugi s u g i project dot com, and you can look all around the world at, at the different forests. We make beautiful films, I think. Um, yeah. And uh, it's uh, if you if you can't um, become a forest maker and build your own <laughs> forest, you know, one time donations, monthly donations. Um, we've got a, a lot of exciting kind of partnerships coming up. 
Uh, and that's, I mean, it's just a joy to, to work on and, and write about. And um, uh, yeah, and it's, it's great that uh, we're, we're, we've been planting through the pandemic, but we have a lot of plantings upcoming, uh, maybe nice. some near you. Uh, yeah. In fact, we're working on a couple in Los Angeles that we oh, hope beautiful. will happen. So maybe Suzanne, you can come and join us for I planting. would love that. I love great. the trees. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. And for you in this process with working with such a, a great cause, uh, how has it deepened your knowledge uh, with the power of biodiversity and what can be achieved in really a small area? Definitely. I mean, just the the reminder of the resilience of, of nature. I mean, the Beirut example is incredible. It's it's uh, remarkable as kind of a known fact, but you also think about how important it is, um, you know, when you're dealing with mudslides and fires and things like that, you know, our forests mimic ancient forests, which can withstand climate extremes yeah. in a way that newly planted um, uh, saplings or kind of decorative trees that are non-indigenous can't. And so, um, you know, there's a deeper lesson there, but then it's also just sort of the lyrical learnings that um, happen on a daily basis. One little conversation that I had with James, um, Godfrey Fawcett, who's our lead forest maker in the UK, who's just a, a beautiful, beautiful soul. But he was saying that, uh, he said, have you ever noticed how in the morning you hear more birdsong? And I said, yeah, actually that's you know when I'm most aware. And he said, it's because it's quiet. It's before people are moving around, before there are a lot of cars. And birds, many birds will only sing when they feel calm. Mm. And so it's a sign that they're feeling safe. And when you think about the somatic response that the human body has to birdsong, right. it's calming. I mean, yep. you know, you Absolutely. go to sleep to the set recorded sound yeah. of birdsong. And so you think, okay, well, the body is recognizing this message from the bird. The bird is feeling calm. That is then being shared with the human and right. contributing to our sense of peace and equanimity and our mental and emotional health. And that's just the smallest example of the connection that we have to the natural world that's right there for the for yeah. the taking and the noticing. But sometimes we just need someone like James to remind us or a little Instagram <laughs> yeah. post from Sugi um, to, to remind you and it can change how how you move through your day. I mean, I will, everybody on this call, you will be talking to, you'll be having a business call with somebody <laughs> who's taking it while walking around or yeah. <laughs> has a window open and you will hear now birdsong um, yeah. as the world has slowed down. Yeah. On You'll hear somebody else's birds through the conversation. It just transforms for me Absolutely. how I think about that person and you know what's going on with them. And if you point it out to someone, oh my God, your birds sound incredible. <laughs> They're like, it's, what a gift that <laughs> then they start listening. So yeah. it's uh, just, that is just a teeny example. But um, yeah, so the slow streets, we talked about slow reading, and yeah. so slow eating so and you know, the slow streets of a lot of streets here in the Bay Area are closed off now people walking mm. around, they're walking around, they're actually looking up at the trees yeah. that are planted in the sidewalks, whereas before they just sort of buzz by and, right. and not notice. So yeah, there is a great value being I have an architecture design background of looking up. 
most people don't look up, but a lot of attention uh, goes into actually designing the ceiling of a space. Uh, yes. So I always encourage people, look up. You'll be surprised. Canopy, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything's placed so beautifully. So, yeah. well, Tamsin, your retreat, we could talk for hours. Um, <laughs> but I'm so excited to uh, slow read through Rests of Exile and uh, look forward Thank to you. your next uh, publication of poetry. And we will post all the links to you. Uh, say where's the best place to get a hold of you for your creative efforts and if they want to get a hold of you in consultancy uh, for your professional efforts. Oh, great. Um, well, uh uh, for creative, uh, most things are posted or linked to, including I read a lot of art reviews, um, are on uh, TamsinSpencerSmith.com. So it's just my, which it'll, it'll be in your links. Um, yeah, I'll put it there. But if you search Tamsin Smith, it probably pops up too. And, um, you know, LinkedIn is also a good place for any professional inquiries. Um, okay, that's probably the easiest, easiest way. And again, yeah. I kind of pop up San Francisco. Um, yeah, I'll look familiar. So. Beautiful. And one last question. Are you going to do uh, a series with your mom's work of poetry? The last time we spoke, you were explaining her, you know, mm -hmm. her plight in life. But I was like, oh, it'd be really beautiful for you to give prose to that. <laughs> Well, I mean, the the incredible thing. My mom's a cell biologist, and she yeah. did a lot of work around the um, the blood lung interface, and yeah. um, a lot of the work that um, we now rely upon in terms of our understanding of angiotensin converting enzyme ACE two. You can't read a scientific article about COVID without ACE two right. popping up. And um, she ran a vaccine company for many years. Um, she's sort of right. It's it's amazing all of these stories and phrases of her yeah. research from my youth are now. I realize how much <laughs> I've actually absorbed when I'm reading right. about it in the newspaper. So um, she pairs um, her um, the electron microscopy of her uh, inquiries into um, lamella bodies and endothelial cells and which is this beautiful inner world. And she pairs them with um, satellite imagery from space of yeah. the beauty of our global world. And uh, we have, um, I, I've, I think I've written catalog essay um, introductions um, for yeah. her and things like that. And I have written a couple of poems inspired by her, by her, um, her science and her art. But the fun thing is, I mentioned the sequel to Exile. Mm. Um, we may work on the plot of the sequel together. And I think it may have a both art and science mm. twist. And also in the way that exile was uh, partially set in and around Cuba and Havana, yeah. my mother was born in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia in December, 1941, as the bombs were dropping on Singapore Harbor. So she has quite yeah. an extraordinary um story of her early years mm. and uh it, we thought it might be intriguing to kind of bring some of that into yeah into this next novel so, so uh, that's a yeah i love collaborations <laughs> and how great to be able to collaborate with one's brilliant much more brilliant than self mother so oh. uh so yes it may be a prose of a fictional form in addition yeah. to the 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 verse and the kind of descriptive prose that yeah. um, I've undertaken <laughs> in the past. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very exciting. Stay tuned. 
<laughs> Stay tuned. We'll check back in. So, Great. well, thank you, Tamsin, so much for being here today. I really appreciate you giving us Always your time and inspiration. Yeah. You're a treasure to anyone and everyone that gets to engage with you. So, and as you're well, equally, you can. oh, thank you. And you're equally as brilliant as your mother, even though I don't personally know of her but <laughs> I will tell I will tell her that you said that <laughs> exactly <laughs> thank you we'll see exactly. we'll see Sweet. it's hilarious all right